Lights, camera, action. My hair is clean and I'm ready to rock. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, back in the day when we used to actually meet with people to go watch movies or to just watch series together. I don't socialize while watching television. What a concept. Like, it's not like there's a whole TV show, all right? It's not like Vogelbox monetized on that whole idea. But when you did that and you were to watch like Ocean's 8 or like Asa de Papel or like anything involving a heist or like a scam, there would always be that one person, let's call them Nick, because they're always like Nick or Dave. It's always like a white man that you're like, I don't really think that you're a Nick. Like the protagonist of this story. Nick would always be sitting there being like, anybody could do this. This is so easy. Anybody could do it. And you're there like, yeah, sure. Of course, Nick, of course. And then there's that awkward pause of them just staring at you, questioning why don't you think that they can do it? And like, no, anybody can do it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, Nick. And in that moment, you realize your friend Nick is gonna commit one of the biggest lottery rigs ever. Totally didn't make that story match the plot of the story today. No. Hi, this is by all means necessary. It's a podcast. It's long form, mostly. Because I'm your long form girlfriend, Maya. <sighs> that will never stick as an intro. Die. Make it die right now. <laughs> today we're talking about triple six picks. We're finishing up the month of the lottery rigs with one of the biggest ones. Because I needed one with information, okay? So this one has everything. You know how much I love scammers? They're just so interesting to research. So this one has a scammer whose name might be Nick or might not. He might have changed it to Nick, which, come on, like, give me something. If you were to get a fake name, would you be a Nick? Like, the most basic fucking names. No. As it is a lottery rig, yes, we are still going to be talking about balls and different methods of manipulating balls. I never knew that lottery balls can be manipulated in so many ways, but hey. Apparently the case we started for was the most innocent on that front. They were like, no, we're going to blame it on graphics and just, you know, fuck it up there. Ever since then, it's like, no, let's make blindfolded children take these fucking fuming hot balls out of the drum. In this story, the protagonist is also going to be like, yep, these balls just got to be injected with weird shit. And you're like, how does this occur to you? Like, how is this your first go-to thing? Why does your mind work like that? But before we go on to the topic of the day, we are diving into the third expression of this year, which is... <laughs> okay, so I have to explain the context of this. Listen to me very carefully. As you all know, also if you're watching on YouTube, yes, I'm a coffee cup collector. <laughs> Back in the day when normal people used to go out and watch movies together and just socialize, I would go cafe hopping, which was super great on my heart because I would go to like five, six coffee shops a day within like the span of three hours and get like and drink insane amounts of coffee in each and every one of them. So I would also collect like cool coffee cups. <laughs> Today I just had a surge. <laughs> Because they're just collecting dust in the kitchen. So I was like, why not put them in the background? And I was like, oh my god, I wish I am sitting in a coffee shop drinking. And then I had a meltdown. It's so great. Again, I was like, wow, I actually miss not socializing, but just actually going into places and being able to sit there for as far as I want. Where I was going with this is to another extremely boring and such a geeky hobby of mine. And that is that I love lists. I have like different lists for prospective cases for this podcast, for Maya Quit Her Office Job YouTube channel, and uh, as of recent for expressions. And the bullet point to those lists 
never make any sense to anybody. Like, I need to go back to the time and the place when I have written that note and be like, okay, Maya, what were you thinking? Because I cannot even figure out what this kit is, what this expression is supposed to be. So that day I was making a video. <laughs> the bullet point just said, if I died. And I was like, okay, sounds ominous. <laughs> sounds great. Luckily, I remember it was a skit about like, it is who I am as a person. That is that I always think like, oh, if I died, I wouldn't have uploaded this podcast episode. It would be such a wasted piece of work. Or like <laughs> the fact that I watched La Casa de Papel in one go the last season, because I thought like, what if I get out on the street and the car passes <laughs> and the car hits me and I die and I never finish the season and never know what happens because to me that is tragic. Or when I was about 17 years old, I was like, what if I die a virgin? That would be the most tragic thing ever. Wow, oversharing it while we are at it. <laughs> so, moving on. The second list with the expressions just said, find out who Scott is. Imagine if I actually died. And those would be the list. Like, that would be what police is going on. One list is ending with... If I died, she's like, oh wow, she predicted her own death. And then the second list begins with find who Scott is. The Scott is the Scott from the expression Scott Free. And the fact that Scott exists is actually fake. Like, it's actually not how this expression came about. But there is a story about Dred Scott, who was a black slave who was born in Virginia in 1799. And he appealed to the Supreme Court to get his freedom, but he didn't until he was made a free man by his white owners, the Blow family. And many people still believe that the expression originates from there. But the most popular belief is like with many expressions that Scott in Scott Free comes from mispronunciation. Because Scott is a Scandinavian word that means tax. So Scott Free would technically be tax free. It is that simple, but there is a bit more to the story. So when getting off scot-free was first used as an expression, it would simply refer to not paying one's taxes. And people are claiming that it's rather this story that is true than the one of Dred Scott and his freedom, because the first reference to scot-free, which was still referred at the time as scotch-free, so it was still mispronounced, but they're like, no, no, this was legit, this was that exact word, was in 1066, and then there was a copy of the word mentioned in the 13th century. So kind of like long before Dred Scott obtained his freedom. And when it comes to the first people that got Scott free, that didn't start happening until the 16th century, and those were not American or Scottish, but they were English. Again, once you go back in the game, you have like the randomest house party facts. Scott free, where did it come from? And you're like, hey, let's confuse the people. Do you believe it was from this? Or do you believe that it comes from a Scandinavian word for tax? Which one is it? God damn it. And now we like roll back the tape like in the old cinemas. I will never... I will never remember my first, I don't think this was my first experience in a cinema, but it's the one that's so memorable, because my grandma, like the one that died of cancer, <laughs> I'm starting this as an X-Factor fucking sob story, what am I doing? She used to work for a cinema, so obviously, like, we would go, and it wasn't even in my town, it was in one of the smallest towns back home. So she used to work for this cinema, and this was, like, back in the day, but in Serbia, even today, movies are kind of, like, have that back-in-the-day feel. Like, there's some really, really old cinemas, which just gives me so much fucking joy. You could actually feel, like, the freaking movie role. And obviously, because my grandma worked there, I went, like, I had a cinema tour. I went into, like, all of the freaking things. I was like, okay, so how 
how they play. Uh-huh. And because it was back in the day, you could actually see, like, okay, if you were to play the movie, like, the tape would literally roll and you could feel it. I'm like, oh, this is what sleep stories should be about. This is what the sleep sounds should be. Nobody fucking nailed it ever. Now, back to the lotteries and the actual fucking story of the day. But yeah, somebody make a sleep sound of the, of the old cinema track rolling. Find it, I don't care. Go back to fucking Zrenjani to Serbia, to a small city, and go to the cinema where my grandma worked and make that sound. Okay, <laughs> slightly aggressive. Let's do it. So, did you know that in the United States, lotteries are run by 48 jurisdictions? Which means that there's no national lottery organizations, which means that there are different laws in different states. And no, I didn't research all of them. We're in Pennsylvania today, so I researched a bit on that. Today, there are actually like two major lottery games, such as Mega Millions and Powerball, and they kind of operate like de facto national lotteries. So there's like more guidance and supervision when it comes to those two. And what's wild is that in 2018, Americans spent 77.6 billion on various lotteries, which was more than 5 billion since 2017. Like, where is this money? Like, why are people not investing this money? Like, just put it in a fucking savings account. And going back in time, what's interesting when it comes to the US and the lotteries is that they were not just used as form of entertainment, but in the US, quite different from like Italy and Serbia that I spoke about in the first few episodes this month, the source of revenue from the lotteries was used to help fund the colonies. Because we forget that it dates so back in the history when colonialism was still ruling the world. And it was only in the early post-independence era that the legislators authorized lotteries to fund different things like schools, like roads, bridges, and different like public infrastructure. And this is so weird, but America was pretty privy, privy? What's the word? They were like clued up on lotteries being corrupt ever since 1830s, actually. And ever since then, like people in power and mostly evangelical reformers actually kind of fired backlash and they were trying to ban these lotteries in different states. So by 1890, lotteries were banned in every state except Delaware and Louisiana. I'm giving you here rapid-fire facts for your next pop quiz. But then the Great Depression hit, and they were like, well, we kind of need money, so how do we legally get the money out to people? And that is truly one way, if this mouth teaches you a single fucking thing, to view lotteries as somebody getting willingly, voluntarily, you to give money, technically, to the state. Like, when... Would you ever do that? Like, on your own accord, just being like, oh yeah, I'm gonna give this money to the government, even more than I'm giving it for taxes? Probably not. So start looking at it from this perspective, huh? About, about time, about time. So in order to overcome the Great Depression, Nevada legalized gambling as a way to bring economic relief. And this is what actually instigated Nevada and, well, the state of Nevada, and with it Las Vegas, to actually become the center of the gambling industry. Well, that and Las Vegas becoming an attractive target for investment by crime figures, such as New York's Bugsy Seagull. Listen to that episode. It all comes around on this podcast. It all comes around. <laughs> ah, the good old days when I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, no, let me present this episode to you as if it was a movie that's in my head. And I totally went along with it. Did you understand what was going on in Bugsy Seagull's life? Probably not. It's great. <laughs> but as we learned as kids... <laughs> 
<laughs> this is your segue. But as we learned as kids, if you make something illegal, you're just going to make it more attractive to the people, and not just that, but to the legal states. So Louisiana State Lottery Company actually obtained and tried to legalize it by obtaining a 25-year charter for its state lottery system. And this has actually passed into law due to the bribing from the criminal syndicate from New York. So now, Louisiana Lottery Company was deriving 90% of the lottery tickets, of the lottery revenue, from selling it across the borders. Basically, these fuckers were selling it abroad to different states. Do you understand, like, the effort? The effort. Just legalize it. Like weed. So finally, since the 1960s, people actually started selling scratch cards. They were like, this is harmless enough, you know? Like, as long as we can sell it as, like, not a gambling scheme, like people are gonna buy, like, we can try to legalize it slowly. So New Hampshire took the lead here, and in, 19, and in 1963, it shifted the social policy. And since then, people followed suit, and now, like, different states would try to fund, basically, try to fund different state operations. So, like, there are still states that don't sell lottery tickets, like Alabama, Alaska, Hawaii, Nevada, and Utah. And in most states, revenues from lotteries are designated for a specific purpose. So it can be anything from education to infrastructure, for example. But without going further into this topic, this has obviously brought like different questionable issues because then A, is it rigged? Like, can we still accept bribes? And then B, well, can the marketing firms kind of influence like where that money is going from? If you're if you're influencing, be like, no, no money needs to go into like building fucking skyscrapers throughout throughout freaking Las Vegas. And then you're like, well, yeah, this is where the money should go to because this is the marketing company that made it all like glossy and great. And then every lottery is going to be like, well, we don't have a national lottery to control any of this. So we're going to invest wherever the fuck is most money. What you need to know for this episode is that the first ticket sales in Pennsylvania started off in 1972. And the event I'm talking about today happened in 1980s. Basically, not justifying it, but people had no fucking clue how to run the lottery or how it's done or how can it be rigged or what the fuck was going on. Listen, the time has come for this one from the background to be open. It's good, it's good shit. Not that I stopped in the middle of the sentence to freaking open the wine. <laughs> freaking open the bottle of wine. You would play it by walking into a shop and choosing three numbers between 000 and 999. I don't know how. Nobody's so through this. It's like, you know, I don't have to be a fucking math whiz to understand that the probability when you choose three numbers versus when you choose six or seven, like commonly done everywhere around the world, it's a higher probability that it can be rigged. So now today I'm putting you into the shoes of Nick Perry, who was the guy that scammed. <laughs> Who was the guy that a couple of months before 1980, he was like, listen, and Nick Perry, just like me, loved his list. So on top of his list of motives was the $3.5 million payout that he would get if he successfully rigged the show. And he just lastly realized that by participating and choosing a three-digit number, his odds of winning the prize are pretty decent. Then as you, Big Nick, are going down this list, you are considering your obstacles. So Pennsylvania Lottery had strict security protocols at that time. The machines and the balls were actually to be locked in a storage room when obviously they were not used on live television. And there were two keys that people needed to open the room 
One of those keys belonged to the TV station and the other to the state lottery bureau. And all of the balls were examined routinely at this independent lab to make sure that they were of the same weight and size. Which means that they realized the potential of somebody manipulating the balls and making them heavier or lighter. There was potentially an exploitation point there, but so did Nick. And now I put, now Nico is going into the La Casa de Papel waters because he realized that to rig the lottery numbers in Pennsylvania, he actually needs to hire other people. He actually needs help. And now probably, again, I'm speculating what's going on through his brain. I didn't know the guy. He didn't figure that out so far. But Nick at this point is feeling pretty confident. And that is because he is an inside man, technically. He works as a broadcaster and as a presenter for this lottery. So... He knows that that is a benefit because then he can befriend these people that can get him into where he wants to maneuver these balls, that can give him the access to those keys. But he also knows that he's probably going to be the first one to be suspected because he is the employee for the place. So the first ally that he meets is Edward Plevel, and he was the lottery security officer. So this was the guy that was entrusted with the security of the drawing machines and the Pennsylvania lottery number balls. And now he is wanting the lingo with Plavel and trying to see like, hey, let's just hypothetically say, this would be really easy to do, right, Plavel? And Plavel is like, yeah, but like jokes, right? And he's like, hey, of course, just hypothetically. And this guy just got freaking hooked and then promised him the access to the balls. Be like, yeah, do with them whatever fuck you please. Now enter the Maragos brothers. When I heard the last name, I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> this ain't good. This sounds Greek. He's including people from the Balkans. This is not gonna be great. I'll tell you when it comes to it, why. But yes, the Maragos brothers weren't about to hide their name, <laughs> kind of like Nick Perry did. Again, the joke is coming later, but Margaret's brothers weren't hiding their nationality or anything. They were the two guys he already knew from like a vending machine business. So basically, they worked together before and they were kind of supplying the lottery with like different vending machines. And they were his buddies from the past and well, he knew that they won't snitch because they're Greek, eh? And they want some of that money. However, why the Margos brothers were a bad idea, among other things, was that they agreed to buy the tickets. So they were the ones that were going to buy them in huge volumes once they agree on the winning number of the day. But these fuckers roped their other brother, James, and his wife, Jean, also onto the scheme. Because when you find people from the Balkans, they're going to be like, well... If I benefit and then my family member does, I will never see the end of it. So they're like, bring them on. The whole family is in on this scheme. This is why. This is your first fucking mistake. Loose ends. Cut off the loose ends. And in this case, the Balkans, man. Now I put everybody's in on it. This truly is becoming Borat. His next checkpoint is an inside man. And here he chooses to get the art director, Joseph Bock, involved art director because of his particular expertise. So there were 30 balls the size of like the ping pong balls and 12 syringes. This is when it gets interesting. So Bok is there right now sitting with 12 syringes and 30 balls and a weighing scale. And he's trying to replicate each of these balls by hand. So each and every ball numbers between 0 to 9 and then he needs to find a way to weigh down the balls that weren't 4 and 6 so that the lighter ones would come to the surface 
which would make it for only eight possible numerical combinations. And this guy is now experimenting with talcum powder, with water. But then finally he was like, no, listen, at home I have a bit of white latex paints. It's like, I'm gonna go back home <laughs> to, to my loving family and just bring that latex paint and then I'm gonna like produce that the next day. It's all gonna be great. I'm just injecting balls with the latex paint. Well, I can never get over when people start to scam. And there's so many ways where they could stop and this is not one of those points. Like you're injecting latex into a lottery ball and you're like, I'm super pleased with how my life is going. I'm super pl- I'm gonna go home and tell my wife how like my, my life is so great. <laughs> like what have you done today? Ah, I just injected <laughs> some fucking lottery balls with latex. No, this is a completely normal day. Such a great shift. So now that he makes the balls that are showing 4 and 6 lighter, those ones would rise to the top. And that would reduce the probability of any other combinations, so this would give them only 8 possible numerical combinations. 444, 446, 464, 466, 644, 646, 664, and infamous 666. You can place all of your bets on which one of those numbers will these fuckers choose to come out of that. It's really not that hard. I believe in you. You can do it. You'll find out soon if you got the right one. Now going back to Nick Perry's list, he checks the balls out and he is left with the tickets. So obviously he has the Maragos brothers. They decide on the sum that they're gonna spend and they put this in motion. And the last bit on that list is play the goddamn game. And this is what I think Nick Perry thought was the tricky part, because obviously he works for the lottery himself, he can't be out there buying huge amounts of tickets, he's gonna be like fucking suspicious. So he didn't buy the tickets himself, instead he got his church friends involved, he gets even more people involved. Like this wasn't bad enough. So the group assembles $20,000 in cash. And Peter and Jack Margos and the church people meet in front of St. Nicholas Orthodox Church, <laughs> where I put, we have a joke in Serbia when we say, like, everything is according to the Orthodox religion or Svejpo Pravoslavlju. Whenever you're making that kind of joke, it's like, I mean, as long as, you know, everything is according to the Orthodox, usually do it if somebody's, like, cheating or somebody is doing something that's completely opposite of what they were supposed to be doing. It's like, well, as long as they're, like, following their religion, following their path. So I was like, oh, I mean, as long as it's Orthodox Church, you know that they're doing right actions. So this lot now involves the whole fucking church. And they targeted small mom-and-pop outlets, so, so like cigar shops, off-license kind of thing. With names like Ellen Virginia's Variety Store, Herman's Cigar Store, Squirrel Hill Newsstand, and You Drop In. Basically not something like, I don't know, Macy's or Target. I don't know if those places existed back then. But yeah, not like huge stores, more like, well, moms and pops, like nobody's gonna snitch here on us. But they're still gonna notice... And this is what I put in the next line, that laziness is an issue, because for this kind of plan, I mean, come on, we all watch like us, it requires time. And that's why you shouldn't rig lotteries, because you need to buy the tickets for that particular draw on that particular week. You need to play this long game, because obviously, even if it is like, you know, you're off license down the road, they're gonna notice if you go in and buy like a thousand tickets and spend $10,000 on it, and you're like, who the fuck are you? (laughs) 
they're going to be quite alarmed if somebody was ever to look into that because that is still quite out of the ordinary. And also the issue that I saw when just looking at this whole plan is the issue of can you just trust anybody just because, what, they went to the same church with you? So you're like, well, you know, they are orthodox. So we can trust everybody and just involve like hundreds of people that weren't there with the initial plan because you can understand why the inside man, why the person that is injecting these balls with latex, why the two people that he worked with. But then you're like, okay, friends of friends and family kind of get it but even that it's really debatable watch Baking Bad the wife can snitch don't trust the wife (laughs) but definitely not like people that you remotely know and like see on Sundays and finally we come to the switch so they hired this stagehand that was to make the switch so they included him on the payroll and they just told him like you just need to make sure you leave this post for a few moments at the appropriate time This other person is just going to bring the balls in and we are going to be ready to put these newly freshly injected balls into the machine. And we go to the intro. (laughs) On April 24th, 1980, Pennsylvania Lottery has drawn the number 666. It will take a year for Nick Perry and his co-conspirators to get charged for the lottery rig that made them a million richer. What were their motives? Never ready! Never a dull day here at the band production. So I watched the 40 minutes of this documentary. I won't make you do it, but I loved it. Again, I would recommend it. I'll put the link below in the description. It's very much 90s production quality, but it answers to all the questions. So let's just watch in terms of discovery how this went down live. She would draw the winning numbers. The first number to hit was six. The second number also six. Then the third number came up. And there you have it. Today's Pennsylvania lottery daily number. That's six, six, six. The winning numbers, six, six, six. But even before the show was over, there were rumors in the gambling underworld that the drawing had been fixed. There was a lot of noise, I was told, out on the street. Please watch this on YouTube because you need to see this woman's face. This woman is my hero. When the last six is drawn, this bitch is like, no. But she just like bites her lip like, whoa. This is either the ring or just a speed dial to the Satan. Like, either way, I want nothing to do with it. Don't associate me with this fucking scam. So now let's watch the bit that has to do with weighing and sort of like a slow motion of how did that look compared to how it looked when it wasn't rigged like months earlier. They asked the FBI to examine the videotape. The FBI did a number of tests and slow motion and it became almost shocking to see the fact that with the exception of the balls, the fours and the sixes, the other balls never go above the halfway mark. By comparing the legitimate April 25th drawing with the suspicious April 24th drawing, the FBI could clearly see that some balls did not move freely. 
Investigators were now convinced that the lottery balls themselves had been rigged and that the whole scheme was an inside job. After this was drawn, Nick exclaimed, There you have it! Today is Pennsylvania's lottery daily number, 666. And then once the music was off, Perry was like super cheerful, said, If you got it, come and get it. Basically like, go get, claim your prizes. And nobody knew that he actually just netted himself and the associates $1.2 million, which in today's money would be $3.7 million. Next line, just to like ruin my own excitement about this, is you gotta divide that shit. Plus, just think about how much money you spent on the tickets, like pre-budgeting for it. I bet none of these fuckers actually calculated like how much each and every one of them is getting because now they have like the whole church to feed, their family and friends to feed, like give money. So at first when you hear that, it's like, wow, but then when you actually split it, like... Is any of them even getting like a hundred K or something that's actually making this whole fucking thing worth it? <laughs> okay, listen, this is serious. This is a serious script. The word on the streets is they just rang Satan. But if they were to have avoided these numbers, or if they were to have had phobia of it, of the number 666, hold my purse because there's a name on it. I'm gonna hit you with it. Hexa, Cosio. Hexaphobia. Fuck me, why is there a name for every single fucking phobia and why is it always so long? Greeks, I blame everything on the Greeks. This is the perfect episode for me. <laughs> it's like one Greek listener that listens to me, like a boyfriend of my friend, just, yeah, <laughs> just dying inside, like, why? Stop, unsubscribe, stop it. Paris, I see you. <laughs> So over the next few days, the brothers obviously don't don't stay, don't keep it low. They're like, well, I mean, we might as well get caught, so let's cash this all out. So they cash it out and they deliver 35k in cash to Perry. And they're doing this as if it's as if they're drug dealers, because again, they have no fucking clue what they're doing, and because they're from the Balkans and this is how they think it's done. So they hand him the first batch of that money in a cemetery and the second one behind a shopping center like can you find any places where you're looking any less dodgy like i don't know parking space somewhere someone's home no they're like no you know what it's gonna look inconspicuous if we are with a bunch of like dead people lying around in the cemetery doing a handover yeah that's gonna look super legit this is where everybody does the handovers. Like, what the fuck? You also some cold Satan. Like, don't fucking test it. Unbeknownst to them, apparently this is exactly what my word in the script is. Totally not copy-paste. There was a word in the street, as you heard the man say, that the game has been fixed. And when I first heard that, I was like, oh, wow, this is like a play on words. You know, somebody's trying to make it look nicely. But no, this was literally bookies on the street speaking and passing on the word that too many people bet on 66 because, you know, people on the street who were kind of involved in small criminal activity would be going to those mom-and-pop cigar bars and stuff and people would be like, oh yeah, you know, have you heard about the lottery? Yeah, you know who I had? I had this man come and they spent like 10k in lottery tickets, which I thought was weird, and they bet on the number 666. So, of course, this sparked the interest of the investigators as well. So the lottery company and investigators are looking into it and the lottery company starts to check the locations where the tickets have been born, uh, bought in large numbers. And one cigar store was like super happy to tell them that they sold over, they made a huge profit on that one day and they were like, wow, yeah, we could have shot, like, we could shot early, man, <laughs> like, fuck this shit, you don't have to sell this off license shit. So they kept thousands of tickets 
in one sale. And it wasn't long before the investigators connected it with the Maragos brothers. And they caught them because these fuckers went into a bar. While they were waiting for their large batch of personal tickets to be printed out, and they went to like a payphone in front of the bar and called Nick Perry at his work lines, not even like his personal phone, and they called him right in the fucking lottery studio, like that they are trying to scam. I love this guy so much. So obviously the bartender was like, oh yeah, these two people look exactly like this. Yep, that's the payphone where they made the thing from. They started honing in onto the Maragos brothers. In this documentary that I have watched, would I call it a documentary? I think so, yeah, I think you would call that documentary. They interview a son of this reporter for the KYW, and the father's name was Sandy Starobin. And he was the one truly that started the ball rolling. He was the one that went and interviewed the bartender, who told them that they used the payphone, they spoke in a foreign language. And then he passed this on to the investigators that pinged this to the Nick Perry's phone. But also they knew that at, at that particular time in the morning, Nick Perry is the only one who would be at that particular announcer's booth at that particular workplace. Again, put it on a shirt, you gotta know true crime to do true crime. Can't be making silly mistakes like this, Nick. So the police now brings in the Maragos brothers. And this is what I put, why I wouldn't commit crime with Balkan people. Because they eventually crumbled. They were like, yeah, we were the ones that called Nick Perry. Like, what is the problem? That's where he works. He's our fan, completely unrelated to this thing that we were waiting for the tickets to be printed and the crime to be committed. But my main point here is that we... um are kind of not really strange to snitching. Like, if it is for our own good, listen, we'll bring our whole family, we'll bring our wives, husbands, like, church group, orthodox, even better, perfect, like, better orthodox than Catholic. But when it comes to, like, saving our own ass, we are pretty much like, yep, let's put the blame onto somebody else. I told you what my main disadvantage of my personality is. So they were like, yeah, Nick Perry, Nick who, we don't know the guy. Put him, put him under the bus. Shove him. And in one of those interviews, once they finally got to Joseph Bock, the art director, if you remember, he said that Perry approached him and asked him, how does 100,000 sound to you? And Mr. Bock said that he replied, who do I have to kill? This is... Okay, even if you replied like this, this is a big... No, no, you need to know true crime to do true crime. Can't go to the police and be like, no, I just ask him, who do I have to kill? Like, they're gonna fucking pile up. Like, you're a liability. You're gonna get yourself an even higher freaking sentence. What are you doing? Also, if this is true, and I was to be a Nick, I would be like, okay, this is day one of, like, how to fail. This is a huge red flag. Abort the mission. Don't include this guy. Don't, don't rig it what did he he just said who do I want to kill like also kind of have to question like did he ever kill somebody for less amount of money what did he do for less amount of money why are you partnering with this fucking cycle abort the mission so when it came to trial Mr. Bok admitted that he weighed the balls used the syringe and then burned them after the show and the Margos brothers stated that Nick came to them with a whole idea and they said not just that, but he actually wanted to prolong this. He saw a long game in this, and he wanted to fix the result every six months or so. <laughs> it's like, I work here anyways, might as well. <laughs> it reminds me of the very sad moment when I worked for this company that had like four floors, and they had fruits, and 
I really love kiwis. <laughs> I'm obsessed with kiwis. It's my Slack emoji for every company next to my name. So every single weekend, because I worked Saturdays, I would come an hour early and I would go floor by floor into every meeting room, into the kitchen for those kiwis. <laughs> and then I would just come downstairs to the actual floor where I worked with like 20 kiwis. And I'd be like, hey, this is a good batch. I'm eating those today. I'd be like, you're going to eat 20 kiwis. I think 15 was my max. I'm, by that, I mean I ran to the toilet like within an hour. The amount of kiwis I would eat, I would completely lose the sense of taste. I knew how to fucking enhance COVID without COVID. Not funny. <laughs> why Why was this relevant? <laughs> uh, because you were like, yeah, you work there anyways. <laughs> My fucking cutout cardboard is there. It doesn't even, like, again, I'm speaking just to the empty room. Alejandro, you failed. Buy me a whole less wallpaper on me. So that, yeah, that would solve the problem. <laughs> So over a week, 25 witnesses, including everybody, from shop owners to their co-conspirators to the church gang to angry senior citizens, took the stand. Can you just imagine <laughs> so many angry old people being like, we're unemployed, we're retired, fucking let us live. And they're like, oh yeah, you can take the stand, this will influence the jury. And after 6.5 hours of deliberation, a jury of 12 found Perry and Plavel guilty of criminal conspiracy, criminal mischief, theft by deception, and drinking a publicly exhibited contest. So Perry got 3 to 7 years, and Plavel got 2 to 7 years. Plavel spent 2 years in prison, and the Maragos brothers actually got away scot-free. This is why I'm like doing this expression, because it fucking keeps happening in every single episode. So, uh, yeah, I think that's when your that friendship ended. <laughs> it's like Perry coming out to the prison and be like, I'm sorry, but like, you snitched on me. Didn't do any time. Fuck off, everybody. Fuck you, Balkan people. This is the whole spirit of the month. And after coming out of prison, Perry actually tried to make attempts to go back to his career because that's all he knew. He tried to return to broadcasting, but that was kind of short-lived. He never lived up to, like, the career that he had. He was kind of known as, like, this charismatic person, like a radio broadcaster, and then went to, like, represent a lottery, and then just kind of died out, because, well, people knew that whoever employs you, you might fucking try to figure out of the most ridiculous way to scam them. And also, he... All the way up until he died in 2003, actually remained his innocence. And he said he never, like, participated in this scheme, which, I mean... I mean, <laughs> they called you your personal line at work. I mean, 666. You know, also, I do believe in in my heart and soul, if they actually chose maybe a less conspicuous number, just two is four, four, six, there's other combinations. Maybe they wouldn't have been that suspicious, but like, say, it just calls for it. It's like in the Bible. Is it in the Bible? Wild statements. Like, no foundation. And ever since this lottery scandal, Pennsylvania hasn't had a single report of a lottery being rigged. Which I love the wording of that. It's like, the fact that they didn't have report doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But they sure as hell are keeping a freaking close eye of like those balls and how they're floating in a freaking drum. A bit about Nick's background. There is not super much. It's more like, it is more like a CD. It's more of a career rather than like, oh, he was abused and learned how to scam from like his parents. So he was born in Pittsburgh in 1916. And previously, he was also a news broadcaster at WTAE, but he took over as the host for the Daily Lottery in 1977. 
and uh, you will not be surprised that Nick Perry was actually born. Give me the biggest drum roll. He was born Nicholas Pericles Katsafanas. <laughs> and I put here, we got a hilarious situation because we truly do. <laughs> I never get it. I will never understand it. Also, if you don't understand the Hilaria, it's the Hilaria Baldwin. It's just, uh, but how did he get from Katsafanas to Perry? Why not keep the K? He was like, I'm going to completely disassociate with this. Although he probably did sound Greek. He was like, no, 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 I'm American. Born and raised, no family in Greece. No, I have no idea how I met these fucking Greek people here. Also, on the Hilaria situation, I don't know if you ever listened to like some of the freaking interviews and I just don't understand how did anybody ever including especially her husband like fall because like her husband literally does this for a living does like SNL freaking sketches and accents and pretends he's Trump and like does a decent impression of like other people and like he's bored that his wife did sound Spanish <laughs> it's like at the best she sounds like a Borat character like when I heard from her I was like girl are you from like where I'm from <laughs> it's like girl cause that ain't no Spanish accent like no Spanish person would ever listen to like Hilaria Baldwin's interview and be like Spanish and just in itself just like with Nick the name is the first red flag choose a Spanish name bitch <laughs> And just twist Hillary. It's like Dolores, Angustia, something that people won't question. <laughs> just imagine how like a bold would you be like Angustia, so what does it mean? <laughs> I, my God. And while he was working for this TV station, he was doing everything. And like he was kind of really just ranking up because he did everything from being a weather presenter to the host of a local sports show. And then eventually he joined the drawings for the Pennsylvania Lottery. So this was like a step up, I think, in his eyes. And because he has done it for 30 years, he was kind of like a veteran. He was seen as a legend. And that's why he never managed to actually find a job later and like live up to his expectations because, well, he scammed. And because in journalism especially, like, or just anywhere where you're supposed to be a public figure, supposed to show your face every now and then, if you have just gone to prison for seven years, nobody fucking remembers it's who you are. You're not a legend to the old generations, and the new generations have no fucking clue who you are, so why would anybody even employ you, even if you didn't have a criminal record? Like, we know today how hard that is, let alone if you're actually sitting those seven years in prison. So after serving for the U.S. Navy in World War II, he began his career as a radio broadcaster. And Perry first discussed his idea with Jack and Peter Maragos, two of his partners from the wedding machine business. And I put, when Eastern Europeans hear of a prospect of getting rich, there's your point, no return. <laughs> and now I put the just, just the nobody wins, the nobody wins corner before we go to the motive. And that is when, as I mentioned, when Nick passed away at the age of 86, he was remembered with a two-page spread in the Post in the Post Gazette. So he actually maintained his innocence to the grave, but they dedicated two fucking pages to a criminal. Okay, cool. Moving on. And in this final interview, he said, why would I get involved with something like this? For what reason? I was making good money. They were the best years of my life, actually. I had too many good things going for me. And this article ended with, and Pennsylvania lottery officials have since adopted an unofficial slogan, be perfect. <laughs> I mean, 
Uh, it's like make America great again or like what <laughs> sorry but it's just so vague it doesn't have anything to do with laundry just be perfect uh, this is truly like my shirt nobody wins it can refer to so many things and still to nothing <laughs> but far from perfection but sure so what motivated this gang what motivated these fuckers here, I think it's a mix of a couple of things. So it's that distance in the white-collar crime where you see yourself as not harming anybody, but you are benefiting many. And it's truly like that from Money Heist or like Elsa de Papel that I think people neglect a lot and that's that you see it as you are not robbing anybody because they went into like a printing house technically. So they're printing out the money. They're not even robbing the money from anybody. And then it helps you justify all of the other harm, like all of the other taking people hostage, like all of the other harm that you're putting people through. The same way that it's here. It's like, oh, what? Like I'm not harming a single person. I'm just like injecting these bulls and like making them appear in a sequence that benefits me. And then it's like one rig, other people benefit. Although if Maragos brother's sayings were true, then he would have continued to do this. And that's the hook, because it is kind of like a gambling trip in a way. But it's that distance that's particularly like important here when it comes to the white-collar crime and that he's seeing as like not harming a single person. And he's benefiting his friends, his family. He's again enhancing like his hero image just in other people's eyes. But also, this obviously wouldn't have happened if there wasn't an opportunity, if there wasn't a leeway, a soft spot, like a weak spot for him to have even seen this as an opportunity to do it. And then, well, in his eyes, probably, <laughs> because if he has a Greek background, he's probably seeing this as, well, no, it's actually not my fault. And the way that he says it's not his fault, he might not see it as his fault because he might be blaming it on the lack of security of the place. Being like, well, if this lottery didn't want to allow for this thing to happen, they should have increased the security. They should have had, like, this thing under 10 keys and shit. Or, like, I shouldn't have been able to bribe, like, five other people that worked within the same institution, the same organization. Because, again, with Balkan people, it's never our fault. <laughs> And how I wanted to end it this week is with a bit of hubris, or I think it's hubris, or hubris. And that is a Greek word, because all of these motives kind of lead to this when you summarize the whole month of lottery rigs. And hubris is the... <laughs> is the Greek word, and that's the characteristic of excessive confidence or arrogance that leads the person to believe that he or she may do no wrong. So now, when you go into your Zoom call today, you post this episode, you go right in, what do you do, my man, what do you do? You sprinkle, like the salt bay, you sprinkle a little bit of hubris. No, you don't. You sprinkle its detector. <laughs> so when you're looking people at those squares, you're figuring out which one of them it's just justifying their doings, their little leeway scams, their little stealing of kiwis, or just taking the milk out of the office just because it's already there. There's nothing wrong with doing it. Because those people might end up doing like bigger scams if, you know, the opportunity shows itself. Or they might not. They might just be me. <laughs> I'm fine. I just, I'll, I'll just take food. 
<laughs> because I know true crime to do true crime. If this mom told you anything, it is that this is not a crime you want to commit. Not encouraging any crimes, but lottery rigs are just dumb. You're gonna get busted, you can't do it, because you need to play the draw for that week, so that means you need to scam, like, in a short span of time. There's no long game. Stop doing it. And then the last word you utter is everybody's like, bye, you're like, you breathe. And then you shut that laptop and then you leave them all to wonder what the fuck you were on about. But yeah, or you can go into the Zoom call and actually spread the word that, you know, you, you're learning shit here. And that they should listen to this banging podcast. <laughs> and then after that Zoom call, because you want to procrastinate even further and tell me everything you think about these motives and just motives about every single episode, you can do that. You can hang with the girl on the socials, that damn pod, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm there like every day. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I have no life, it's fine. <laughs> or hit me up via email podbam at gmail.com or just buy the merch and support the girlfriend. I can come here every week and be like super fucking thrilled to tell you about all of these scams and games. And I think the public has spoken in terms of polls on Twitter and Instagram about the topic for next month. <laughs> I think so. I'm gonna have to check because I record this a lot in advance. But yeah, I'm pretty sure you have chose the more morbid one, which I'm like, great. Great, guys. I gave you like a light jokey one. I gave you a morbid one. And you want a morbid one. What the fuck? But yeah, uh, next week, as you know, I go rogue. And I go rogue with a listener's choice. And we're going international, which, you know, means it's gonna be wild. So... Until then, though, I have to let you go because life. I always prolong it because I don't want to separate myself, but I have to. I have to move on with my life and let you all go and stop spreading hubris. Up until between now and next Monday, you know what you fucking do. You keep making this world a better place. How do you do that? Well, you truly stop encouraging people to commit true crime. Also, catch other people at these little small scams and be like, hey, do you want to be a big time scammer? No, stop now, because this is a gambling. This is an addiction. You see distance because you see that you're not harming anybody. And then you keep continuing with this. So how do you keep doing that? Exactly like that. One motive at a time. Pie fuckers. <laughs> wow. Aggressive. What were his motives?